0: The vast majority of people are buying Bitcoin in particular and, and they're holding on to it. They see this as a longer term investment.
1: So here we are at Fincia's first podcast of 2021. And uh, I have with me Caroline Bowler of BTC Markets, um, who I'll um, get to introduce herself. Caroline, Welcome.
0: Thank you very much. Yes, lovely lovely to be here. So, as you say, I'm the CEO at BTC Markets. We are Australia's largest digital asset exchange or cryptocurrency exchange. We've been around since 2013. Um, Our clients have traded at this stage well over $12 billion. And we have just shy of 300,000 users. Based here in Melbourne, as I say, it's been around since 2013. We're kind of the sleeping giant of Australian crypto in that. Nobody's heard of us. We've, we've grown entirely by word of mouth. Um, we've only just kind of started to kind of um, raise our profile and be known outside of kind of a core group of, of, of people within the crypto industry. But that's certainly something that we're looking to change into 21 and beyond.
1: Well, I'll, I'll far away with the first question. Um, you know, how far do you see Bitcoin going? Uh, I read somewhere last week um, that JP Morgan, one of the banks that, are, are, again, have only recently seemed to get involved. And, and they're talking about the fact they think he could go to $100,000 uh, a coin, though there were some drops last week. What, what, what's your vision of what uh, you think is going to happen um, um, this year and, and, and going forward?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. There seems to be a lot of different speculation around the price. I saw some 100,000, some 140, others have gone up as high as $400,000 um, US per Bitcoin. For me, that's not something necessarily that I'm I suppose, educated enough to speculate on. But what I can talk about is, is what's, uh, what we see as driving this behavior. Is, and, and I see this price as a very straightforward supply meets demand, limited supply meets overwhelming demand. Um, I know that the data has kind of shown that 77 of mined bitcoin is not moving, which is to say that investors are going out there they're buying their bitcoin and they're holding on to it. They're viewing this as a longer term um, investment strategy. Um, and that's something again that that kind of they've seen over the course of the last year or so. Um, the data shows that so for the holders of more than a thousand bitcoin people are, there's an increasing number of those that hold over a thousand bitcoin. Which is to say that there's high net worth family offices who are out there accumulating um, these positions, these investment positions, and then sitting on them and the holding because, as far as they're concerned, this is an asset class worth being involved in, and also one that they see um, with a strong future. But just with the price and kind of the, the, the you know the, the the movements that it's seen, I know that Goldman Sachs likewise have kind of said that. It's going to take an increasing amount of institutional inflows to, to stabilise this price. And, and I think that's something that we're going to see more of um, through 2021 and, and beyond, that kind of increasing um, institutional inflow.
1: Well, um, well, talking of institutional, you know, another thing that I've seen uh, mentioned is it's been talked of as an alternative to gold. Is that something? Um, what are your thoughts on that? So
0: yeah, this is a narrative that's been bounced around about about Bitcoin and about crypto. Well, Bitcoin specifically is is the safe haven asset class, um, comparable to gold, gold in, in in that kind of function that use. Um, I know that there was research from kind of um, associate professor Thomas Conlon at a UCD, who did some research about safe uh, about Bitcoin as a safe haven um, through the COVID nineteen bear market. And kind of his conclusion was that you know BTC is, is not is not that safe haven, but by the same token, I think if you look at kind of the role of gold traditionally, you know gold itself holds no intrinsic value. The investment in gold has long been, suppose, almost habit forming, and we're just so used to to the role that it functions so that you know within our financial um, within financial services. Bitcoin shares some of the characteristics of that asset class, but equally, it is an asset class in and of itself. It has its own features in terms of the portability, speed, you know, accessibility, um, which in some ways, you know, push it further past gold as a as a really useful store of value. But equally with the risk profile that it has and kind of where it is at the moment, you know, Bitcoin is, is probably an asset that's best known for being risk on rather than risk off, which I, I think is kind of more the role that gold plays in, um, in our financial markets.
1: Okay. Uh- well, one thing that uh, you mentioned earlier that you you know you've had um, three hundred thousand users, and again talking about uh, the fact that uh, Bitcoin uh, and how it's becoming more mainstream ETFs. Is there any chance that I've, I mean, even today read something about um, uh, Biden's the possibility that uh, while there's regulatory opposition to Bitcoin ETFs in the US? If that barrier was broken down, they'd become even more uh, mainstream. I wonder what you, have to, are you Are you any thoughts on that? Yeah.
0: So I mean, if you look at, uh, with the change of government in, in, and change of administration, rather, in the US, the, 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 some of the key roles within the financial regulators are now being filled by people who have probably a better understanding and deeper knowledge base around cryptocurrency and digital assets. And so, you know, that doesn't necessarily indicate favorability, but it certainly indicates that they're further along the learning curve and they have a deeper understanding around the benefits as well as the um, potential issues of this asset class. And I think that's going to be very much a direct relation then into, into the regulation as it evolves and unfolds through the, through the Biden administration. But my own personal opinion with regards to Bitcoin ETS or any of these um, financial products is that it is a matter of time. It is not um, you a know, question of... You know, will, it, will it ever be allowed? It's simply a matter of time. The infrastructure is being um, built up rapidly. We're seeing larger players moving into the market. Um, even just this week, BlackRock, the asset manager, who holds over $7 trillion, has come out and said that they're looking to include BCC futures into of their um, funds that they're looking to roll out. So when you've got asset managers of that size and that importance to the market coming out and indicating an interest, in looking at exposure to, to the to the asset class, you know, as I say, it kind of goes back to the point of it's just a matter of when, uh, you know, when this stuff is going to come through, so which will be very exciting. And I think that that's something very much, you know, for, for the crypto industry and digital assets, uh, it, it's overdue um, that, that we had those kind of people in, in those positions or just that deeper understanding and administration in the US that understands the benefits um, of cryptocurrency. And I don't know, say, for Janet Yellen. It likewise has come out and said that this is something from a, a technology point of view that the US, in particular, needs to explore because of the benefits that this technology can bring to financial services. And I think that's really exciting. And I kind of look as well at what's coming out of the European Union. Um, they've been very forthcoming with their um, with their was it MiCA I think is the act that they've called it, where they're looking to build out whole you know infrastructure, regulatory infrastructure around cryptocurrencies and digital assets. It's a very exciting space. A lot of really good momentum behind it. Um, and for us at BTC Markets, it's, you know, we're, we're delighted to play our role.
1: Taking that a, a step further, you know, there, there's other currencies that have, um, have fared even better you know, year on year than Bitcoin. Ethereum, I think, is the one. The fact that they're um, growing as well, do you, ha, what, how do you view that? Do you think that is another... Uh, another brick in this wall, you know, are they becoming mainstream? From, from I mean, suppose from from our point of view,
0: looking at what they're called the altcoin, so Bitcoin and everything else is is called an altcoin, uh, alternative coin. I, I think they're they're very much absolutely part of the same pantheon. Bitcoin's probably the best known. It's been around the longest time. Ethereum is probably the next best known. That's only been around, you know, about five or six years. So these are not, you know, these are still very much in their infancy in terms of their use case being developed. But if you look at the work around Ethereum itself, huge work has gone into it. it and and the, you're looking at coins and, and tokens that have got purposes other than just store value. Other than just as um, I suppose a speculatory investment or otherwise, if you're looking at something like Ethereum, the technology behind that is what is going to underpin the blockchain economy. So you know and other platforms like it, not just to talk about you know Ethereum being the better known of them at the moment. So the use case for that, as I say is not just about investment. The use case for that is is to kind of facilitate this next burst of of technological development and going kind to of underpin our economy going forward. Um, and that's something certainly, as you know, as you mentioned, Ethereum is kind of going through a bit of a burst of itself. It, it reached an all-time high, I think, just today as, as we talk. It's 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 certainly pumping. I can see it now. It's um, at one thousand eight hundred and forty-six in our exchange at the moment. Um, for most of last year, we have been about five hundred dollars, you know, even around that price point. So it's certainly on a gallop um, and hasn't been held back. But, but the another, you know, traditionally where Bitcoin goes, the altcoins follow. I think as this market is maturing and as people become more educated and understand more about the different use cases of each of these different tokens and different coins, likewise, we're seeing those price points separate and I suppose function more like what we would consider traditional markets where, you know, complementary asset classes move in simultaneously, but others follow their own path. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing at the moment with Ethereum.
1: Okay, it's, um... Yeah, uh, I mean, it is fascinating to, to hear about. Um, going back again to something you uh, mentioned earlier uh, on, you, you know, you've know, you had, uh, as you said, 300,000 users, customers, um, uh, big numbers. C- can you give us more about um, you know, what the, the demographic looks like?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, for us, I mean, our traditional, I suppose, the, the perception as well as much as anything else, of the traditional crypto investor is um, usually male um, and based along the East Coast, living in Sydney, Melbourne. That's the kind of perception. But when we looked at the numbers, our uh, third largest market by some distance is Queensland followed up by WA. There is a very large and very engaged um, client base outside of the the traditional market base. But more importantly, when we looked into the demographic behind it, in 2017, our you know the market had our exchange rather had about um five percent of its user base were over 60 years of age. Now, as we look kind of into 2020 and look at the same numbers, um that's grown to nine percent, but of a much larger user base. So we're seeing that shift in demographic of what was once considered I suppose like the crypto bro, these young men who are who are kind of just throwing cash around. But that demographic is absolutely shifting as we're seeing an older investor coming in. We also saw, in 2020, a five-fold increase in the number of SMSFs that are coming on board to our exchange. So, again, that, that different type of investor profile, either on the hunt for return or looking for risk exposure or just trying to you know get a foot in, perhaps say a bit, understand a bit more about the different types of coins and tokens that are available. Um, and they're all coming into the market. So, for us, it's you know so very exciting, but also, from, from our point of view, of trying to service the needs and of all these different user bases as they as they grow here in Australia.
1: You know, the, the, the figures that we see um, are, you know, with, we were talking, but last week it was a, a, above $40,000, though it's come back somewhat. Do, is there a problem? Is there a worry that, and I'm not sort of happy with this term, mums and dads investors get put off by those figures? You know, how, how, um, how can you explain how it can be, um, uh, accessible and democratic, you know, for everybody. Mm.
0: So I suppose it's about understanding the risk. If you're talking specifically about Bitcoin as opposed to the other different coins and tokens, which likewise have have different risk profiles, if you're looking at something like risk and looking at Bitcoin rather itself, we would obviously suggest that everybody do a bit of research into anything that they're going to invest their money into primarily to make sure that they're comfortable and they understand what they're getting into. Um, but the risk profile differs per investor. And for some, they quite enjoy the volatility. They're Therefore, they understand what they're doing. Um, and I think this perception of just being mums and dads and people here in Australia who don't know what they're doing, I'm not necessarily sure that that's true. And, and this is kind of a point that I've kind of come to before now that, here in Australia, as opposed to you know, I've, I've lived in Asia, I've lived in Europe, in a few different countries around the world, and the engagement at the retail level, these mum and dads investors, is much higher I find here than in other countries that I've lived in, and I think that's as much to do with the culture around SMSF investment that um, that people expect themselves to be more informed. They they're they're very comfortable or, or more comfortable perhaps than their peers in other markets to take on that role and to do their research and to be a bit more of a savvy investor and to take those steps into these markets. I mean, and even when I talk about the SMSS coming on board, they're not coming on board with their entire portfolio. They're coming on board and getting exposure of maybe 5%, 10%. And, and similarly for the companies' the accounts that we've seen that, that are coming on board. I mean, indeed, that's our, one of our largest um, kind of growing sectors. We're currently hiring specifically for that to service um, the company and, and kind of this sort of non-individual um, sector, because that's where we see so much growth. For those companies that are coming in, the exposure that they're giving is very savvy. They understand what they're doing, um, and they're not coming all in straight away. And, and similarly for those for those mom and pop, um, investors that are coming in, but as I say, I think it does a disservice to to the Australian retail investor to kind of write them off that they don't know what they're about. I, I, it certainly doesn't seem to be true in the in the people I've spoken to.
1: It, I, I saw um, something written uh, last week or over the weekend talking about uh, um, that crypto was was media driven, which um, as a journalist, I suppose I have to take some. Um, you know, some so black for, you know, but, but um, it, you know, it, it seems as though some spikes happen when the likes, I mean, BlackRock is, is a different kettle of fish, but when the likes of Jack Dorsey, Square, Twitter, Founder gets on board uh, and some banks, but for them, you know, the, um, to spend several million, several hundred million, it's actually a drop in the ocean. I suppose that goes back to what you've just said about, you know, all investors needing to do their research as well, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, you know, the, the, like insurance, U.S. insurer Mass Mutual have given you know a hundred million dollar exposure to Bitcoin from um, from their P and L. Like, so there's not just, I suppose the new the new technology companies that are putting their money and it's also like in us insurance companies are putting their money into this asset class so it's not just the new new tech kind of team that are, that are coming into it I, I would also you know push back on my opinion that this is entirely media driven that was not what we've seen it's not been our experience across say even just 2020's markets. um we've seen this asset class move the way that the investors and the way that the market itself sees this movement and, and the media, instead of playing a catch-up game, rather than taking it or, or leading it in a direction, and particularly if you look at so the, the kind of the tracking of Bitcoin again across 2020, it followed suit as all the markets did in March with with the kind of the COVID bear market, and it, it, it did have a crash. But it came back and it not just kind of bounced back kind of gradually it also continued that appreciation yes there were some peaks and some troughs but they continued that appreciation across 2020 on a more graduated basis and then obviously at the end of the year it, it, it had a rally no question about it we certainly didn't get a break here at btc markets across christmas and into the new year and um, to help us get our clients to get as much out of the market as possible but this idea that it's media-driven or hype-driven, I think those days are, are long gone. That may have been an argument to make back in 2017, but that's a long time ago in crypto years, and that certainly isn't the case that we're seeing here on the ground.
1: OK, okay. well, um, you know, to use that as well, is it, is it then a case, to use that um, uh, Warren Buffett term, that it's not timing the market, it's time in the market, and, um, and, and crypto, uh, Bitcoin, is, is, is getting to be... Um, in that category.
0: As think it's just been around long enough that people are, are getting savvy to it, or...?
1: Or that they see that it's a, a long-term investment, that you've got to stick with it. Yeah,
0: yeah I think so. And, and, and as I say, that kind of points to the data that we saw um, previously, that, that the vast majority of people are buying Bitcoin in particular, and, and they're holding on to it. They see this as a longer-term investment. Um, and and they're not going anywhere, they're not budging on it. And as I say, I think that's that's what we've seen reflecting then in that price, that, that straightforward kind of, you know, economics 101, that graph, the supply and demand graph coming together. And yeah. that's what's pushing this this price, or you know, in, in our opinion anyway, definitely.
1: And maybe I won't round off on this one, but I wanna I wanted to ask, um, you know, there has been this um, lingering reputation that it's a currency of of criminal terrorists. What what's got to happen to um, to get rid of that? Or or again, is that something that's unfair as well? That's deeply unfair.
0: <laughs> I know that, that Chainalysis um, brought out their their kind of review of twenty twenty. And Chainalysis would be a, um, a security uh, software company that look at all the activity on the blockchain that are used by all of the major US financial services and financial crime companies. That so, you know, they're very well known, very well regarded. Um, anyway, So Chainalysis brought out their review of 2020, and they said that illicit activity made up 0.34% of all crypto transactions in 2020. So less than half of a percent of all crypto transactions were linked to illicit activity. Without pointing any fingers, can people within the banking industry point to similar numbers and say, oh, yes, only 0.3% of all of our transactions are linked to, to crime or illicit activity? So, do I think it's an unfair reputation? Yes, I do. Do I think that it's come out of the basis of where it started from? Potentially. Like the headline grabbers, the, the big news, um, you know, the sexy, exciting, cool stuff was to link this to... To drug dealers or to criminal overlords or you know whatever insert criminal here in, you know in terms of whatever you fancy yourself um is that reflective of um, the reality today? No definitely not um, even here on BCC markets, I can tell you that our review of, of any illicit activity connected to to drug exchange comes in much much lower than 0.34 percent so I just don't think that that's a fair that's a fair cop anymore. <laughs> I think <laughs> definitely think cryptocurrencies move past it.
1: Okay, well, I'm glad. But then, looking forward, maybe in summary, what can is there anything you you can say about 2021? Um, 2020 was a year that um, nobody could have predicted, but um, maybe we can have another go this year. As you said, it's within, within crypto. You know, a week is a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Are Aaron, any thoughts um, for the longer term on your? Um,
0: yeah from from so i i came into this role a year ago and at the start i said to the team that that 2020 will be the year of the inflection point when when cryptocurrency will go mainstream and we predicted that for about may june and that's exactly what we saw if you look even from the first to the second half um our onboarding numbers got by 40% from the first to the second half of 2020 that was the inflection point um, and that's a projection that we see continuing into 2021. I also see an increasing sophistication in service offerings that are built around and using cryptocurrency slash digital asset technology. Um, that's something I can strongly predict for not just here in Australia but also worldwide um, as people start to wake up to the reality of what this technology can do. And part, I suspect, that will be driven by the kind of the, the structural changes brought about by the times that we're living in. You know, as much COVID as it is to do with the geopolitical times, as much as it is to do with the economic realities that people are facing, as much to do with people's expectations. Um, And I think financial services are, you know, through the work some fintechs are doing and and digital assets as part of that, you know, really restructuring people's expectations and how these marketplaces operate. and, And just, you know, speed, efficiency, value for money. And I think the digital assets bring that and cryptocurrencies bring that into the market.
1: Yeah, I'm certainly I was speaking to, to a fintech uh, about it today who are, yeah, uh, uh, are involved. So um, it, it's, it's all around us. Um, Caroline, mm-hmm. I, um, it's fascinating. I, I hope you'll come back and um, speak to us again later in the year. But I would imagine you've probably got to get back and um, back to business. So um, without um, at that, I'll, I'll probably say um, thank you very much. And um, please come back again later in the year
0: terrific yes absolutely I'd be delighted to be and thank you as well for your time today no worries okay
1: thank you